I've got a box I need to show you. It's this box of junk that I brought from my house. Do you have boxes of junk at your house? Um, I got it over here. I'm just going to set it on this table because I want to start with a question. It's a, it's a pop quiz, actually, so I hope that you studied. Here's my question. Question number one. How much stuff do you have? Take a quick inventory. Think about the stuff. Just look around your bedroom, your living room, your kitchen. Uh, the stuff you use every single day. How much stuff do you have? Think about it. Okay, now think about the stuff you don't use every day. Okay, the stuff that's in your closet, in your other closet, in your third closet, in the closet that you don't use, in the attic. Okay, the stuff you put in the garage and in the loft in the garage, the stuff that you put in your storage shed in the backyard because it didn't fit in your garage or your closet or your attic. The stuff in your other storage shed next to your first storage shed because it didn't fit in the other storage shed in the garage, in the attic, or the closet. And the stuff in your storage shed that you pay money for every month that's off-site because there's no room at your house. And you can also count the stuff that you keep at your parents' house because that doesn't count, but it does. Okay, so that's the stuff that you have, okay? That's the stuff that you have. And we're not even going to count the stuff that you can't count, like how many uh, online streaming services do you subscribe to and how much cryptocurrency do you have? Because let's be honest, we don't know how that's going to work out yet. We still don't know. Okay, but we're not going to count that. That doesn't count. How much stuff do you have? Here's a qualifier for that. Like if... If you needed to move this week and you needed to go to a rental truck company and rent a truck, what size truck would you need to get it all in one truck? Okay, that's the question. How much stuff do you have? You got that? Jot down your answer? You don't really have to write this down. You know. Second question. How much of that stuff do you actually need? It's a smaller list, right? I'm talking about like if tomorrow someone was like, listen, I don't know how this is happening, but in two weeks, your house is going to vanish and everything that you don't take out of it, you're going to lose. So get out exactly what you need. And you go to the rental truck company and you ask again for a truck, but this time, how big of a truck do you need? You're like, no, I need it all. I need all of it. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're like, actually, what I have on my person right now is fine. This is not a guilt trip about how much stuff you have. If it is a guilt trip, that's, that's between you and Jesus. I, don't, I can't work with that. But it's just a question. It's a question to get us going this morning because, um, you know, I think it's true that a lot of the stuff we have is unnecessary, but I also think it's true and worth entertaining that a lot of stuff that we have gets in our way of a deeper relationship with our God. And if it does, that's a problem. We're in this teaching series where we are talking through uh, the ruthless elimination of hurry. And you might remember that we've uh, talked about, there's a book by the same title, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, by a guy named John Mark Comer. And he goes over these principles, or what he calls practices, of eliminating hurry. So uh, two weeks ago, before we had a week off because of the snow, we, uh, we, we, we did um, the first practice, which is the practice of Sabbath. Did, do you remember the practice of Sabbath? The practice of Sabbath is rest and worship. And I gave you some ideas on how you could go through this concept of rest and worship in your own life. And I gave you a challenge. And my challenge for you was to try to block out five hours in your week where you could simply turn everything out. Five hours. The Jews did it for an entire day. Actually, they started before sundown on Friday and they went all the way through Saturday. I just said five hours. I said, go home and try that. That was our challenge. Not only try it, but also see if you could put it on your calendar for a period of four weeks. Now, it's interesting to me that the week after I challenged us all to take some time off, We had some freezing temperatures and we were uncertain of how things were going to go. And so we actually canceled our services last week. And I don't know if you caught this, if you get the text message, you remember what it said? It said, enjoy this day for a day of rest and worship. Did you? 
How has it gone? If we're going to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, one of the practices of Jesus is the practice of Sabbath. And so I hope that you did last week. Uh, my family did. We tried. And uh, we did the best that we could. And we, we actually sat down with the whole family. We looked at our whole calendar. And our b- discipline was that we wanted to try on Friday night when the sun went down. We were going to make it through about 5 or 6 o'clock on Saturday. Because I had some things I had to do on Saturday evenings. It's kind of my routine to get ready for Sunday. But I said, that's going to be our practice. And then we've done it the last two weeks. And it's been really great. And we're not perfect at it yet. We're still figuring it out. But how has it gone for you? That's my question. Uh, this week, we're going to get into the next practice of Jesus. And the practice of Jesus is the practice of simplicity. Simplicity. And that is why I started out talking about uh, your stuff. Because so often, the things that we have can get in the way of what God has going on for us in our life. And so I want to look at a couple of scriptures that Jesus talks about when it comes to our stuff. And the assertion that he makes that our stuff will get in our way with our relationship with him. Let's check out, for example, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, which says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Now, when you hear that first phrase, watch out, you might be thinking that Jesus is going to give us a big warning about, like, there's a car coming, you're going to get hit by a car. But who is the enemy in this, in this warning Jesus gives? Our greed and our possessions. He gives us another scripture here. This one uh, comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 25. Sorry, this first one is Luke chapter 19, verse 21. He says to one guy, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Because there was a guy who his physical possessions were in the way of his relationship with God. So immediately, I step back from verses like that. I'm like, whoa, God, for real? I got to get rid of my stuff? Like, isn't this stuff good? Isn't it a blessing? But there's a clear warning from Jesus himself about what our possessions can do uh, in our relationship with him. Or maybe look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life much more than food, and the body much more than clothes? Now, I think this is one that we can relate better with. Typically, this verse is used to talk about worry or anxiety or some type of fear that goes along with those things. And I think that we can relate to the idea that, yeah, God, I do get worried about my possessions. I do get worried about, can I pay my bills? But what am I supposed to do about that? It might be what led Jesus to say this in Mark chapter 10, verse 25. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Christians hear this all the time. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, but, but it's not impossible, right, for, for someone to enter the kingdom of God with, with riches, right? With stuff, right? It's not impossible, right? And we're like, well, yeah. God has certainly used material things to, to advance his kingdom. Sure. But there's enough warning there. Jesus wants us to know that there is some stuff in the way. So John Mark Comer uses the teachings of Jesus to show just how different the kingdom of God is than the kingdom that he is setting up. In his plan, riches are not the biggest thing. Material wealth, materialism is not the most important. And if we want to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our life, we've got to live in the kingdom of God. Which, by the way, I like to clarify this. We're not just talking about like when you die and go to heaven. That's not the kingdom of God. It's certainly part of it. But like it exists now. We're living in it. 
And if you want to f- experience the full presence of God in our lives and be living in his kingdom, we've got to prioritize differently. And so this brings me to the biggest question perhaps of the morning, which is this. How does simplicity, remember we're talking about our material possessions, how does simplifying our material possessions have anything to do with eliminating hurry? Are they even related to each other? Does that make sense? Does it seem like there's a disconnect there? And it does for me. I kind of wrestled with it actually when I first read the book. But the more that I got into it, I was like, oh yeah, they're totally related. Because if you ask any engineer, okay, ask any physicist or contractor, ask any English teacher or math teacher or any parent or intelligent human being, they will tell you this fact. The more variables you add to a situation, the more complicated it becomes, right? What is the opposite of simplicity? Complexity, right? And anytime you add more variables to a situation, it makes it more difficult. And if you feel like your life is in a rush, you feel like your life is in a hurry, you feel like you can't catch up and keep up, well, it's possible that you're just clogged up. You've got so much going in your life and this complexity of everything that we have contributes to the fact that I don't have room for other things. I mean, just think about it. From the most simplest example, we talked about how much stuff do you have versus how much stuff do you need. I would wager that most of us could live in a house at least half the size of the one that we live in. Have you ever considered that the house that you live in is not for the people? You, how much space do you need for as a person? I've been camping before. I got a little tent that's like this big. I mean, you need somewhere to sleep. It doesn't take that much space. Our house is for our stuff and our self-esteem. <laughs> like we have, we like, I got to, well, where am I going to put this and that and that? I need a house with another room. And I get it. Sometimes there's bigger families. You need more room. Again, it's not a guilt trip. It's just a question. How much space do you need? And that's just a simple example because how does that uh, complexity of our life add to the hustle and bustle of my life? Well, if I've got a bigger house, I've got bigger bills, right? The house is more expensive, which means I had to work more, which adds to the hustle. It's going to be higher utilities. It's going to be higher maintenance, more grass to mow, more walls to paint, more broken pipes to fix, more appliances that I'm going to use. And on and on it goes. And guess what? When you add more factors to an equation, it becomes more complex. And those variables take away from the simplicity and the basic purpose of it all. And Jesus continually points to our materialism and our personal possessions as something that will get in the way of our relationship with him. So that's what I to say today's practice is simplify. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Why do we need so much stuff? What drives us to have so much stuff? I think that a big part of it is that there's a lie in our culture, and this is the lie. That more stuff will make you more happy. Stuff equals happiness. In fact, I think that it's fed to us through marketing and advertisement. I think that it's something that as a culture we've embraced that it's actually true. You know, shopping, I I don't have a statistic to back this up, but I think I could take a quick hand survey and see that it's true. I think shopping has become America's number one pastime. How often are you just hopping on Amazon real quick to see what they got Put it in your wish list. Drop it in the cart. You ever just been walking along with your cart and be like, oh, two for one. Got to get that. I wasn't going to get Oreos, but man, they're on sale, right? And, and so shopping is just, and, and, and because it gives us kind of those dopamine hits that we enjoy in life, uh, shopping has become a big deal of it. And it's really interesting. Uh, I read an article on the BBC.com called How the World Embraced Consumerism. I, I recommend you look it up. How the World Embraced Consumerism. Pretty long article. Um, but in it, the author outlines how much our culture has shifted from what he calls a needs culture and a needs culture looks like this. This is, you know, you're talking about pioneer days. In a needs culture, you only have what you need. I got a few pots and pans. 
I got a change of clothes. I got a roof over my head, a place to lay my head. And I've got the tools to do my daily job, right? That's a needs culture. I only have what I need. The shift has happened from a needs culture to a desires culture. Because through marketing and through ad campaigns, we're told that, you know what you need? You need to be happy. Before the 1920s, advertisers who were selling a product, you know what ads looked like? Ads just basically described what the product did and how it was good. Let's just take a look at a couple of them. This is something I found online. This one uh, it was for the Franklin typewriter. This was the ad. Visible writing, perfect alignment, simplicity, durability, speed. Franklin typewriter. Who doesn't want one of those? Why? It works. In fact, that typewriter still works. I'm going to tell you. Right now, it still works. That's a good ad. Second ad. This is one more familiar. Coca-Cola. Delicious. Refreshing. Listen to this. Relieves fatigue. That's what Coke's for. You get tired? Have a Coke. It's a very... I love this last one. It's a rat poison ad. It says, it clears out rats, mice, bed bugs, flies, roaches. Straightforward. It kills everything. It doesn't mention it might also cause cancer and kill your children. But that's a different time. We weren't concerned about that. We wanted to get rid of the bed bugs. They got to get rid of those things, right? Straightforward. But if you look at ads today, something shifted starting in the 1920s. Remember the Roaring Twenties you learned about in, in high school? Some of you might have been there. I'm not sure. You might have heard about the Roaring Twenties. It was a time of consumerism. It was a time of marketing. It was a time of great economic growth. And, and it in, increased after World War II. Advertisers began to promise something else. It's not just going to kill your ad, rats. It's not just going to type on a typewriter. It's going to make you happy. It's going to actually make you happy. John Mark Comer, in his book, calls modern advertising propaganda. And it's a fact. You can do a lot of reading on it online. I found out myself. Propaganda. Propaganda, the exact same Freudian psychology that the Nazis used to convince so much of Europe that they were the good guys. That's propaganda. By the way, all the other countries use it too, including good old USA. Everyone uses propaganda. But that's what marketers use. They tell you that you need this, and the number one reason you need it is because it will make you happy. If you don't believe me, take some time, watch TV this afternoon. Just do it. Listen to the commercials and be looking for, play a game. Ask yourself, what lie am I being told right now? If you buy your spouse a brand new car at Christmas without telling them about it, it will save your marriage. Wow, a new car. I got you one too. We both got new cars. We're going to be so happy. Or you've seen those infomercials and like the way that they sell their product is basically by showing you how terrible life was. Oh no, I used to have to put my dishes in the you know cabinet. But now I have Cabinomatic 2000 and it's going to make my life so much better. And if you buy this cereal for your kids, you will be the best mom ever. The, mush, the, the marshmallows and the fruit is so good. Mom, I love you. Right? You'll be, it, it's, it's propaganda. Insurance commercials. Insurance is so much fun, guys. Oh, my goodness. We just love insurance. That little lizard, Flo, uh, Jake from State Farm. Like, these guys are great. They're so funny. I'm laughing. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait to save 15% or more on my car insurance. This is going to be great. Right? Because, but this is the thing. It's propaganda. The, the, it, play a game this week. Just, now, I've done this for the last few weeks because I was just going to try it out myself is what the book recommends. There are some straightforward ads. I've actually got to give credit to some advertisers. Like, yes, we, we, uh, we fix your air conditioner and it's, we fix it. It gets fixed. So come call us if your air conditioner is broken. Like, that's a good ad, okay? Um, but a lot of ads, 
A lot of ads tell you that you're going to be happy if you purchase their product, and it is a lie. Car insurance will not make you happy. The only time you need car insurance is when you're unhappy. <laughs> okay, cereal is not going to make you a better mom. In fact, the high fructose corn syrup in there is, and sugar is probably one of the worst decisions you can make for their morning routine. It's not going to make you a better mom or dad. And that's one reason why we have so much stuff, though. Because we believe it's going to make us happy. And there's probably other reasons. Self-esteem and all these other things. And, 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 and uh, uh, sentimentality or some reasons we hang on to things. And some of you might have a disorder. You need to see a therapist. You're a hoarder. Okay, get rid of some stuff. But the reality is, you don't need it. That's why the practice of simplicity is so important. I want to get into the Bible this morning, and we're going to be reading a big chunk from Matthew chapter 6 today. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. We've got Bibles that we give away for free back near the door here if you want to grab one. Keep it for yourself forever. Write your name in the front cover. It's yours. Uh, or just read along uh, on the screen or in, in, in the book that you have in your hand. Or you can just borrow one for the service if you want to. And Jesus is talking uh, about our material wealth and how that impacts our world. And so we're in Matthew chapter 6, which by the way, Matthew six through uh, 5 through 7 is something called the ter- Sermon on the Mount. And it's like the most condensed section of Jesus' teaching that we have. And it's a really cool place to study if you kind of want to see like, how does Jesus want me to live? Matthew 5 through 7 is a great place to go and, and maybe even start if you don't even know. But he starts in verse 19 of chapter 6. He says this, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Time out. Think about all the storage containers I just described. Think about the huge amount of money that goes nationwide into storage and bins and Ziploc bags and vacuum seal bags. Okay, he says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So remember, Jesus is saying this, and this is way before marketing and targeted campaigns and ads. Jesus is just making a very practical point here. He says, listen, your stuff is, is temporary, Okay. And he's, he's, not actually, he's not actually condemning stuff. What he's talking about is your heart. Where do, you, where do you place the most value and emphasis and where does your heart go in your life? And so often it goes to our stuff. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes into this thing in verse 22 that, honestly, it's, it's kind of a strange passage, but you have to contextualize it back to when he was talking. So let's read it first. You might have read this before and be like, what is he talking about? But we'll, we'll talk about it. He gets to verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Okay, I don't know if you're tracking along here, but it seems like Jesus changed the subjects. Like what? Uh, don't treasure, treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. Your heart shouldn't be in treasures. Got it. 10-4, Jesus. Now let's talk about optometry. Let's get into your eye health. Can you, can you see the letters? Like, 
You make it number one, number two, is two better, three better? One, like, this seems like an eye doctor appointment. He's talking about good eyes and bad eyes. But John Mark Comer in his book gives a really good description of this. And basically, in this culture that Jesus is speaking to, talking about good eyes and bad eyes, one way that it can be understood is an idiom that they would use. And so if someone had good eyes, this was someone who looks at the world uh, with the right perspective. They've got a godly perspective. And so they're intentional about their things. And one thing that was very big in this Hebrew culture is uh, generosity and hospitality. And so he says, if you've got good eyes, you're looking out for the right things. In the context of this passage, he's talking about our material possessions, okay? So got good eyes. But if you've got bad eyes, it can also be tra- translated evil eye. So maybe you've received that if you have a teenage daughter. Maybe you've received that, okay? The evil eye, the evil eye is the opposite, okay? This is the individual whose eye has not got the, pers- the good perspective, this is the person who looks at the world and, and is distracted by every shiny thing and isn't looking towards the eternal, but is always looking towards the temporary. And so he talks about this good eye, bad eye situation, which then makes perfect sense when he gets into our next verse, verse 24. He says, for no one can serve two masters. Now, when you see this phrase, no one can serve two masters, our mind immediately goes to this. And I've been guilty of teaching this this way, but that's not what he's talking about. The two masters are obviously what? God and the devil, right? These are the two masters. No, that's not the two masters Jesus is talking about here. Look at the next sentence. He says, either you hate the one and love the other, or you would be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Those are the two masters he's talking about. Our material possessions. Our wealth, they get in the way of us serving God. So we fill our closets and we fill our attics and we fill our sheds and our other sheds and our other sheds and our parents' attics with all this stuff because we believe it'll make us happy. And Jesus calls us out and he says, listen, those things might actually be your master because you've taken an inanimate object and you've given it power in your life. By the way, that's the definition of idolatry. To take an inanimate object and give it power in your life. And Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You're going to be devoted to one or despise the other. You can't serve them both. You can't serve both God and money. Warning, warning. Big red light is blinking and Jesus is saying, listen, you need to prioritize. And if you want to be a fully devoted follower of me, there might be some things in the way. And you might have bought them on Amazon.com. And they got to go. He gives us some more teaching in verse 25 when he says, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. We read this earlier. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life much more than food and the body more than clothes? Well, yeah, Jesus, the body is more than food and it's more than clothes, but I'm hungry. But I need clothes. But I need a car to get to work. He's like, I, I know that. I know you need stuff. Some stuff that you're going to need to get by. But, and he says the next sentence, he said, but look at the birds of the air. The birds, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns that the Heavenly Father feeds them. Don't you think you're much more valuable than birds? So can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And this is why so often this passage is used to talk about worry and anxiety. And it's a very good place to look for that. But in this setting, Jesus is like, listen, I want you to know, I understand there's some things that you're going to need to get by. But you can't put your faith and your trust and your dependence in those things. Because they're going to rot or get stolen or get, you know, inherited by somebody else one day. They have no power in your life. Only I have power. And I will take care of you. Because I love you more than birds. 
and I take care of birds, I'm going to take care of you. Our practice today is simplicity. And that's hard because we live in a complicated world. And so what do we do about it? John Mark Comer in his book gives 12 tips for simplifying your life. And honestly, I think it would be like useful if I just stood here and read that whole chapter to us. And, but I'm not going to do that. This is not story time at the library with Chris. We're not doing that. But I'm going to give you kind of a bulleted list of those 12 things. If you haven't picked up that book yet, uh, grab it. Check it out. It's totally worth the read. But I think this bulleted list, and I'm going to flush out a few of them just for, uh, for emphasis, will be a good start. So I'm going to give you these 12, and then I'm going to give you our challenge for the day, and then we're going to go home. Because like, we're going to simplify. Okay? But here's the 12 things. Uh, I recommend you write them down or write down one or two of them. Find one, find two that will really benefit you. And most of all, write down the challenge at the end. So here's number one. I'm going to run through them. If you need this list later, I'd be glad to give it to you. Number one, before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? Does anybody own a boat? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Does anybody also own boat problems? Yeah. Everything you buy comes inherently with other value, right? So you buy a boat, great, but you're also going to need boat insurance, and you're going to have to put gas in that thing, and gas is really expensive. And if you're some of those people who just go off in your boat without your family, it's also going to cost you family time. And the next thing you know, you're going to need a new tire on your boat trailer, and on and on it goes, right? So it's okay. If you have a boat, that's great. If you're in a position in your life where you can afford a boat, fantastic. But anytime you buy something, we've got to ask ourselves, what is the true cost of this? Not just the sales tag, but like long term. Can I actually afford to get a dog? Just a question for a lot of people who just pick up dogs and like, we need more dogs. Dogs, they live a long time, guys. Okay? Uh, that's just a rant. Sorry. Um, number two, before you buy, ask yourself, by buying this, am I oppressing the poor or harming the earth? Time out. Real quick. This sentence has been in the wrong arena for too long. If you had to guess, would you agree with me that this sentence would belong in a political arena? That this is some sort of a statement made by a political person talking about, I don't know, caring for the planet and, and stuff like that. Uh, it's not. This is a sentence that belongs in the vocabulary of a believer of Christ. Okay, Because by buying things, do you realize so much of the stuff we have, including this technology we're using in here, is built on the backs of people who are being oppressed and dragged out of their villages to work for pennies? That's unethical. And for too long, we've turned a blind eye to it. And in the last couple of years, I've personally become more aware of it. It's not a political thing. It's a, it's a human rights thing. Okay, that's the, I'm not, again, I can't spend a lot of time there. And the other thing is, uh, am I harming the earth? Look, one of the first jobs God gave us was take care of the earth. Okay, it's in a political conversation, but pick up your trash, right? But, but as, I, as I'm buying this, is there a better, more sustainable way I could do this, right? And so that's just, that's just food for thought that can help us simplify. Number three, never impulse buy. Just going to pause because you know what that means. Elbow your spouse, whatever you got to do. Okay, never impulse buy. Number four, when you do buy, opt for fewer and better things. You know, it might cost a little bit extra to get the better quality thing made by people who weren't in slave labor. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that thing may be an heirloom that your grandchildren can use because it's a better quality thing. So in the end, we've simplified. Number uh, five, I love this one. When you can... Share. You don't have to own one of everything. Lots of people have one of that, so call them. That's uh, one of the beautiful 
full things about community, right? We just, how many of us in here share tools? Like there, there's a list of like 20 of us. Like, have you, have you seen, have you seen my reciprocal saw? Like I, I gave it, oh, I let him, you know, like, and it's fine. It's totally good because we can share. Number six, give things away. This is where you start to thin out your collections. Give things away. You don't need all that stuff. Give things away. Make a box, donate it to somebody, whatever. Number seven, live on a budget. Man, I wish, I mean, probably just have a whole week on budget. That would be a good, good idea. Uh, Lindsay and I have worked hard to live on a budget for the past, you know, almost 20 years. And it's, it's, it blows my mind how often people just willy-nilly just don't know what they're spending. And that's one reason why you have too much stuff. I'm not calling anybody out. I'm saying, you know, you know if one of these things fits you. Number eight, learn to enjoy things without owning them. This is kind of like share, but check this out. Uh, go to the library and get a book. Don't go buy a new one. Like you're, you're only going to read it. Some of you for six months, you might have to keep renewing it, but that's okay. But you don't need a stack of books. That's actually a problem I have. Too many books. And there's other things that you can just enjoy without owning it. Number nine, I love this. Cultivate a deep appreciation for creation. If you want to understand God's, God's priority of simplicity, go to creation. Go outside. Spend some time outside. It is amazing the systems he has in place. And yes, the human brain is amazingly complex. And so there's parts of creation that are by design very complex. But in general, oh, so smooth and peaceful. Get outside Simplify, simplify, simplify. Number uh, 10. Oh, this is another great one. Cultivate a deep appreciation for simple pleasures. You don't need another $1,000 device. Maybe you just need to sit on your front porch with a glass of sweet tea. That would be great. And like, man, that's pretty dang cheap. You can actually share with your neighbors there. One of my favorite things to do is to get up early with my wife and have a cup of coffee before the day starts. It's just such a simple thing. Appreciate the simple pleasures. And then you realize, like, I don't need more stuff to be happy. It's a lie. Number 11, we've talked about this at length. Recognize advertising for what it is. It's propaganda. So play the game. Play the game this week. Listen to commercials. Play with your kids. Hey, what... What crazy lie am I being taught right here? It's okay if you still buy the thing. You might decide you want it. That's okay. But just be aware that it's not going to bring happiness. It might bring cheaper car insurance. It's not going to bring happiness. And number 12, I love this. Lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. Every single time you share something instead of buying it or enjoy a simple pleasure or choose not to buy something on an impulse. Every single time, I want you to be like a little revolutionary. You're like, stick it to the man. And you're just like bringing down the walls because you're like, I am leading my own cheerful revolution against materialism. A one man, one woman army and then recruit people to your forces so that together we can simplify. That's the list and it's a really good list. And it's that last one that I want to kind of... Use as a springboard into our challenge for this week. And here's the challenge. Here it is. This week, find a corner of your life that you can simplify. For example, thin out a collection that you don't use. You have too many of that? Probably. You don't need it. Or donate clothes that you don't wear. Or give yourself fewer choices. I didn't even talk about choices. But one thing that really complicates our life with our stuff is the more choices we have, there's actually this paralysis that happens in our brain. The more choices people have, the less likely we are to make a choice. You ever flip the channels on TV for a long, long time? You're like, I can't decide what to wear. Back, I mean, where? What to watch? Like back in the day, we had a time where we didn't have cable or anything. We had like five channels. And it's like, yeah, I guess we're watching PBS. It's fantastic. Good programming. It's all we had, right? Simplify, simplify, simplify. Uh, 
Otherwise, intentionally fight materialism in your life. So this is a challenge. This week, find a corner of your life that you can simplify, which brings me back to this box. So I have this box here. And uh, this box is my own little cheerful revolt against materialism. Uh, Here it is. Uh, Lindsay and I, for many years, have tried to live a simple life. We we really have. It's been one of our biggest values. If you've been to our house, in our living room is a sign that's been there for uh, 10 or 15 years that says live simply and like it, I kind of cringe a little bit sometimes when I see it because I'm we don't want to be like you know that's a trend to like just put scripty things on your walls and it makes you a better person but like we did that before it's cool so sorry so um live simply because we really believe we want to live a simpler life and so we're constantly paring down what we have and what we're doing with our time and our money and our resources and so a couple weeks ago I actually did this because I have a problem like I, I got a big problem it's a book problem Like, I just, I can't resist a used bookstore. When we go on vacation, I literally ask my family, one of the things I do is like, what city are we going to? What used bookstores do they have? If there's a book for $1.50, I'm probably going to buy it, okay? And there's a 40% chance that I'll open it and a 10% chance that I'll read it. But I want to at least have the chance, right? I don't want to leave myself out. This might be a rare gem. And so I got a problem. And so most of these are from the library book sale at the, the public library. If you don't know about that, that's the sweet spot. Um, but here's the thing. I, I, I was prideful. Because one thing I collect is biographies, because I want people to believe like I'm a big nerd and a big intellectual. The truth is that I'm not going to read this biography on George Washington. I've already read a biography on George Washington, actually a couple of them. I'm pretty sure they didn't come up with new information about George Washington. Like this is probably the one I, it's by Ron Chernow, great author, Alexander Hamilton, like that kind of stuff. But I, it, it had to go. I'm not going to read it. And so I went through my book and my, my books and I cleared out the shelf because honestly, I was having a hard time. Like, I, it's, it's actually my bedside table thing, and I didn't, I couldn't put my phone on the shelf to plug it in at night because I had too many books, and that's stupid. Now, here's the thing. We do this multiple times a year in all kinds of areas of our life, and so I'm just using this as an illustration, as your own cheerful revolt against materialism. Your challenge this week is to find a corner of your life, this shelf was literally in the corner of my bedroom, and simplify it. Now, is this box of books going to change my walk with Jesus? No. No, it's just books, okay? And, and I'm, truthfully, I did this like three weeks ago, and this box is still in my house, okay? So, like, that's why I brought it. If you need books, I got you right here. But it's the practice of simplicity. It's putting into practice every day simplicity. It's going through the process day after day to continue to simplify. This is not a sermon on, like, your money and your stewardship and, or even materialism. It's a sermon on Find the areas of your life that you need to simplify. And start by doing it. So this week, go home and make a box. It might be that you have way too many coats. Guess what? There are homeless people in our city who are really cold this week. How cool would it be if they had your coat? How many pairs of shoes do you really need? Only 15 or 20, right? So get rid of at least 20 pairs. No, Seriously, decide what you need. Simplify. That's the challenge. Jesus warned us over and over and over again. And I think often we are in the habit of ignoring those simple things. And wanting to go to some big, lofty, ethereal, super deep theological discussion. And we'll talk and talk and talk about it. But Jesus is like, yeah, but for real, you, you know your Amazon delivery driver better than you know your neighbor. Can you thin things out a little bit? And if we're going to practice the practices of Jesus, we've got to put it into practice. Let's ruthlessly eliminate hurry through simplicity. Let me pray for us today.